What is your experience, strength, and hope? Welcome to episode 406 of The Recovery Show. This episode is brought to you by Patrice, Bonnie, Robin, Sean, Hannah, Phillips, and Susan. They use the donation button on our website. Thank you, Patrice, Bonnie, Robin, Sean, Hannah, Phillips, and Susan for your generous contributions. And thank you also to everyone who contributed their voice, whether written or spoken. This episode is for you. We are friends and family members of alcoholics and addicts who have found a path to serenity and happiness. We who live or have lived with the seemingly hopeless problem of addiction understand as perhaps few others can. So much depends on our own attitudes, and we believe that changed attitudes can aid recovery. Before we begin, we would like to state that in this show we represent ourselves rather than any 12-step program. During this show, we will share our own experiences. The opinions expressed here are strictly those of the person who gave them. Take what you like and leave the rest. We hope that you will find something in our sharing that speaks to your life. My name is Spencer, and I will be your host today. Joining me today virtually are a host of individuals. So let's dive in. Start with a voicemail from Christine. Hey, Spencer. My name's Christine from California, grateful member of Al-Anon. And this episode about motive really spoke to me today. I made the very difficult decision over much prayer and reflection and consideration. Um, I made the decision to block someone out of my life on my phone, all social media, a dating app. My motivation was to begin to protect myself from the person that's not been respectful to me and has not acted with integrity. Um, he has repeatedly lied to me and possibly put my physical health in danger. The sort of reckless with my friendship and also romantically. It was over two and a half years and then uh, the person struggled with alcohol issues. And, and and I've always, my motivation is, you know, I liked him. I liked him a lot. I probably loved him. And, but in the back of my head, I saw that I saw what he could be if he were sober. Anyway, this time my motivation was to protect myself because I knew that I couldn't trust if I brought this issue to him. I knew that we would have the same conversation and there would be excuses. And I knew that I couldn't trust him information that came to light this weekend that shows me he had been lying to me for a very long time. And my motivation was to protect myself, even though I feel mean, I feel unfair, I feel mainly I don't want to hurt his feelings. I want to be liked by him. He's a cool guy, he's very charismatic, and um, I feel important around him. It's painful that I did so much to try to make him happy. I wanted him to be happy. And I made it and my motivation was to protect myself and to make myself happy, my future self. Thank you very much, Spencer. I've been a listener off and on for many years, and you've helped me through many difficult periods. Thank you, Christine, for sharing that experience. I'm positive that there are others who have been where you are, and maybe we'll hear from some of those in a future episode. Dan wrote, Spencer, thank you for your service in curating such an amazing show. I've been in Elanon recovery for 11 years. I've had to work my recovery 
quotes, in all my affairs, end quote, since first entrusting myself to the care of the fellowship, rooms, and eventually higher power. As a survivor of the multi-generational family disease, I've had to address how a childhood exposure to the family disease and a dysfunctional family and home manifested in physical, emotional, relational, professional, and financial problems. One thing I don't often hear discussed is how we get from surviving to thriving. It has been incredibly rewarding for me to partner with my higher power, using our tools and many others to finally, at age 56, begin to live a whole life. I now understand via recovery and multiple programs and therapy that the neglect, abuse, and deprivation of the family disease taught me to hide my whole self from the world. Even though I had some successes in life, I still hid lest they be taken from me. Over the last couple of years, I've used recovery to begin to thrive despite serious illness, job loss, divorce, and having to restart my financial life. I'd love to hear about how big our lives can be through recovery. Would you consider this as a topic best? Dan, that is probably a fantastic topic, and I'd love to share that conversation with somebody. If you're interested, email me, feedback at therecovery.show. Thanks, Dan. Laurel sent a voicemail. Hi, Spencer. It's Laurel. I'm calling because since we recorded that show on gossip, something came up in an Al-Anon context around that, and I tried to do something different. Someone who attends one of my regular meetings has said some awkward things to people outside of meetings, after meetings, and it's something that's come up between us. And that felt like gossip to me the last time it happened. And I thought, we shouldn't be talking about somebody in the meeting without them present. I just had an awkward interaction with this person after an Al-Anon meeting. And so rather than chit-chatting about it and complaining about it, I just directly texted that person and said, why did you tell me that story? It was a story that was potentially offensive, and that gave that person an opportunity to say, oh, I don't think I explained this well. In fact, I hadn't explained that I was changing the subject from our previous topic, but I told you that story because it was about anger, and you had just led a meeting on anger, so it was on my mind. And I said, that makes a lot more sense. And I was more confused than offended, but I also was making a choice not to assume the worst and to directly approach this person instead of talking about it with other people behind their back. So that was different. Now the next problem is, what do I do the next time that person comes up with other Al-Anon friends? I don't want to accuse anybody of gossip. And these are also our stories because they're interactions we've had. But maybe what I'll just do is say what I did and what the outcome was, which was positive. He thanked me for being authentic and being patient. And anyway, progress, not perfection, right? Just wanted to share. Thanks. Hi, Laurel. Good to hear from you again. And thanks for sharing that experience. Sue asks, is there an episode on infidelity to which I had to respond, um, uh, no? I'm positive that infidelity was discussed, mentioned in some of the episodes over the years, probably particularly the ones where people shared their own story. But with a quick search on the website, I was not able to find any of those. 
maybe if you're listening and you've recently listened to an episode with the mention of infidelity, you could let me know and I can put that tag on the on the episode so then it can be found. Also, if somebody wants to share your experience, strength, and hope around infidelity, and I think in particular using Elanon Recovery to deal with it, whether that's accepting it or leaving the relationship or what happened maybe in between, I don't know. So yeah, great question, Sue. Thanks. Maggie sent a voicemail. Hey, my name is Maggie, and I was just calling to inquire about online meetings, if you would be able to help me and point me in the right direction for Al-Anon. I would like to take some online meetings. That way I could attend them, but I'm just unable to physically attend. Um, I don't want to do it in my hometown just because um, I live in a small town, uh, and a lot of people know everyone, and I think I would feel a little more comfortable attending online meetings. That way I'm still getting the help and just being able to talk about things, but without being in my hometown of everyone knowing everyone's business. Thanks for the question, Maggie. I would suggest going to alanon.org under the meetings menu. There is a section of global electronic meetings. So you can go there and you can type in, you can select what day you want, what platform you like to use, whether it's Zoom or Discord or email or phone. You can select what time zone you're in, what language the meeting is in, and then you can get a list of meetings that are available online. That would be my suggestion these days because there's quite a few listed there. David left us a voicemail. Hello, Spencer and others. My name is David. I'm calling with some feedback about show 401. What is my motive and how have I used that in my life? Oddly enough, that was a decision for me two or three weeks ago that finally resolved a matter that had been languishing and I've been obsessing about for at least a month. I'm a co-chair of a small nonprofit. The other co-chair term is completed. The question becomes, do I become the chair? I knew there would be a date by which a decision had to be made. I couldn't decide. I was all hung up about it. So I called an Alan friend who said, in his experience, service is supposed to be fun and free. I had to call him back the next day and say, did you say free? He said, yes, fun and free. And I said, what's the free part? His statement was, free means, what is your motive? What are you hoping to get from it? Do you have an expectation? And wow, that just floored me because once I started looking at my reasoning, I didn't want to disappoint people. Uh, I thought they expected me to do it. I'm not good at saying no. I want people to think I'm a stand-up guy. And there's a little bit of maybe resentment. And I think I would be good at it. But at the same time, I wasn't, I just no longer really had the ability to do it. So once I saw my motive in that light of free, that I have a choice, and that I was hung up on I should do this, the should word, 
I should be the chair, I should do this. Once I got to explore that, oh, it was okay to take care of myself. Thanks, David, for that experience of using that question, what is my motive, to help you make an important decision. That's wonderful. Paula writes, I have been attending Al-Anon for just under a year. Finally, the reality is setting in that this is my life, take it or leave it. I decided to start listening to the podcast from the start, and today, on a very long walk, listen to episode 132 on lies. The situation in a nutshell. 15 years of what I guess could be borderline alcoholism, and thanks to COVID, it blossomed. At the same time, my spouse developed gluten intolerance, no more Coors Light, on to gluten-free vodka. And during the same time, he was approaching retirement. In his opinion, if he left, the place would collapse and he wanted out. He sent himself into a forever spiral. So much fun, right? He pulled a Tom Brady and went back after retirement for a year, and here we go again. Lying has to be one of the worst things. I can't trust a single thing he says, or better yet. When he asked me when I will be back from my errand, it was beat into me as a child not to lie, so this is a tough one. I'm aware he is now drinking and driving to and from his meetings. Sometimes he sits in the parking lot and drinks. Sometimes he is early from the house stating he is on setup duty. He stops for his vodka on the way to the meeting. How do I know this? Three children and one alcoholic husband create an incredible spy. I love the podcast, but I'm still at a loss. Do I confront the lie or leave it alone? Of course, old me would like to rip his throat out, but Alan on me goes for a walk. I also go pick up some gross fast food. That has to stop. Trust is the most important part of a relationship when it comes down to it. I'm so tired of being disappointed. Thank you to Jenna from my group who suggested your podcast. Peace, Paula. Yeah, Paula, living with that active alcoholism and that lying is a challenge. I remember a joke that goes around the rooms. You probably heard it. How do you know an alcoholic's lying? Because his lips are moving. I would say keep coming back and maybe do some readings on detachment. Um, His program is not yours to work, but the effect of his behavior on you is definitely yours to own, to decide how to deal with it. Beyond that, I can't really give a a strong suggestion, but do keep coming back. Because in the rooms, in the literature, you will hopefully find something that works for you in this situation. We got a voicemail from Louise. Yeah, hi, Spencer. This this is Louise calling from California. Ah, It's been a while since I've heard your new episode. I reach out to you to listen whenever I'm in crises and I just wanted to call to say how much I appreciate being able to go on to your show and even listen to past episodes that I've listened to before. I get the same level of comfort and you bring me back to serenity. You bring me back to acceptance and I just got finished listening to the episode on acceptance as a gift of recovery was incredibly touching again for me. I got to relive my experience of losing my first qualifier, my mother, when she got dementia and ended up passing away. I'm still living with active alcoholism. I had an experience last night where I heard a loud noise. My dog and I both looked at each other and we knew something was up. Sure enough, my husband 
he's 12 years older than me, and he's in the throes of his disease, but he had fallen. He's a very big man. There's no way I can get him up off the ground. But I was able to at least help coach him how to get back up. It was such a sad, pitiful sight to see this 72-year-old man. Actually, he's more than 72, he's 74. Just completely helpless and in such a pitiful state. And I just saw a person in the clutches of the disease, absolutely in the gorilla cage with the gorilla. The gift of recovery for me is that I was able to be of service without getting all enmeshed, without slipping into fear, and actually having a good night's sleep. Of course, in a different room. But I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful for the tools of recovery that have given me the ability to navigate the the halls of alcoholism. And I don't even feel the pressure to make a big decision of, do I insist that he go to recovery, rehab? Do I insist that he get uh, another place to live? I don't need to make any of those decisions today. Whereas my disease would take me to a place of, you have to make a decision. My decision today is that I don't have to decide. Anyway, I'm all over the place in this message, but I just wanted to express gratitude for you and look forward to your next episode. I hope all is well in your world, that you're healthy, that your family are doing well, and I just send you much love and peace and blessings. And your show is like a beautiful warm shawl that I can wrap around my shoulders when I feel that I need it. So thank you. Thank you for being there. And thank you for letting me share. Blessings from California. Bye. Louise is calling in reference to episode 381, Acceptance as a Gift of Recovery. And I love that she was able to find a gift in being able to be assertive without getting enmeshed, without slipping into fear, and actually having a good night's sleep. Thanks, Louise, for calling. Megan writes, Hi there. I'm struggling with my codependency. I just spent the last three years taking care of my father, who was sober 35 years and died from cancer. I gave my entire life to him the last three years. At the same time, my partner, who had been sober from heroin addiction, relapsed when COVID hit. I had to leave to fly out of state to take care of my father and left him home. With in-person meetings shutting down, he didn't have much resources or didn't choose to use them. Plus, I was a nightmare to deal with. I was fighting with him and trying to control from the overwhelm I was feeling taking care of my father. I felt I had no choice but to be there, but I needed to be home paying attention to my life. I was angry about it, but I was so close with my dad. Anyway, he passed in September. My partner was there sober with me at the time of him dying and my dog died the week after, and then my partner and I came back home, and he took off a couple weeks after. He's been missing for four weeks now, no contact. The truck he had is in my name, and apparently he got into a car accident. Of course, he never contacted me, but the insurance is in my name, and they contacted me, so I'm left with all the fallout. I'm afraid to repo the truck from the auto shop in case there is drugs in it. I don't want to be held accountable. I believe he was living in the truck. He left all his belongings there and took nothing with him. Nothing. He is not who he was when he was sober. Anyway, I'm feeling devastated. My family is feeling devastated. 
My partner was so close with my father as well. I realized now how controlling I had been in the relationship, how scared and insecure I felt, and how that got projected all over him. Anyway, if someone could get back to me, that would be helpful. Megan, I have no help here. I'm afraid. Wow. That sounds really hard to deal with, Megan. If it was me, I think I would probably contact a lawyer about the truck, about is there some way to get the truck inspected by the cops so they can remove any drugs that are in it without it getting back to you? I don't know. I really don't know. But I assume you'd like to have your truck back. And that's not the big thing. The big thing is he's gone and you have no idea where he is or what condition he's in. And wow, I I can't imagine. So maybe, again, a listener who has been in that kind of place might be able to give us some words of support for Megan. Thanks. Got a voicemail from Mary. Hi, Spencer. This is Mary, your co-host from the Diversity equity, inclusion, and belonging episode. I got your email about your upcoming topic of inaction and reaction, and I wanted to submit something. Here's what I wrote. Before program, I used to react so much to almost everything that the alcoholic did. Everything he did, I made about me. I would make threats that I didn't intend to carry out in my heightened state. Or sometimes I would freeze and give him the silent treatment for days on end. There was so much tension in the house, even if there wasn't yelling and fighting, you could cut to tension with a knife. Alan taught me that his alcoholism is about him, not me. And also that I didn't cause it, can't control it, and can't cure it. But I sure can contribute to it, and I did do that by reacting in a way that was not helpful to him or me or the situation. I learned not to react and to instead respond. I did this by allowing space between the instigating event and my response. I tried very hard not to do something or say something immediately after an incident. I took my time to discover my choices and choose the response that I felt was best for the situation. With the guidance of my higher power, I was able to do something different. For example, when my spouse got a DUI, I didn't yell or scream or threaten. I just let him face the consequences of his actions. He already felt enough shame about it, and it wasn't going to be helpful for me to pile it on even thicker. As the saying goes, don't just do something, sit there. Another time, my spouse got drunk while he was the only adult at home with the kids. The incident felt especially personal as I was at an Al-Anon meeting when he did this and I had specifically asked him not to drink when I was at a meeting. It felt like a slap in the face. I worried about what could have happened if there was an emergency and the kids needed a sober adult. But I refrained from saying nasty things. Instead, I realized again that I could not control when or how he drank. I also realized that this was behavior I could not accept and that I could no longer live with active alcoholism in the house. I did step 11 and sought higher powers will for me and the power to carry that out. I decided to kick him out of the house. When I told him about my decision and that he could no longer live in our home, he tried to convince me that he would change and that he wouldn't do it anymore. But I knew that he could not be trusted when it came to alcohol 
And more importantly, I knew that I could not live with active alcoholism around our kids. I could no longer put their safety at risk. I stood firm in my decision, and he did move out. And luckily for him, and for me, this became his bottom. But it could have easily turned out different. I was at peace and ready to accept whatever outcome would have come about. And because I knew when I made the decision that it was higher power's will for me, and that even if we got divorced, that I had made the best decision. So that gave me peace. I've heard that we have one second of pause for every year in program. I'm grateful today for the ability to pause before reacting or responding. I'm not perfect at it, but I get to keep coming back and keep trying to practice. Thank you. Thank you, Mary, for sharing that. And thank you for this idea that we have one second of pause for every year in program. Does that mean that when I'm triggered to react, I need to wait 20-something seconds before I respond? I'm not quite sure how that works, but it's an interesting thought. Another voicemail here from Grace. Hi, Spencer. It's Grace here calling from Australia. Just currently listening to your podcast on gossip and absolutely loving it. I'm in my third year of recovery and I'm just becoming aware of yeah, my defects or my hidden jewels. <laughs> I'll call them instead. Yeah, about what my characteristics are and personality is and gossip is a huge part of who I am and I can really relate to everything you guys are saying and I really just wanted to share what came up for me and I loved how you were talking about the common enemy when you gossip. You're really talking about a common enemy and there's no intimacy when we gossip and it's a hard wire out of intimacy or it's a shortcut. <clears throat> True intimacy, but it's not true intimacy with people. And it got me thinking, and I saw it as someone I consider myself the newcomer now in my third year. And even though the creating is the thing like a long time to me, I don't know who I really am. You know, like I've grown up with the disease of alcoholism, born an adult child of an alcoholic, and it robbed me of really my identity. I did everything for the alcoholics around me and things like that. And so I don't know what intimacy looks like. So for me, I can see how gossip is really hard to change because I don't know what to talk about myself because I don't know myself. So I only just discovered my favourite colour truly is green at the moment and that could change. That's really it. And what do I say if I don't gossip? Well, it brings up a lot of gratitude that I'm discovering how I gossip and why I gossip. But also, I, I don't know what to say. So I suppose, yeah, if you could share your thoughts on that, on maybe I do just need to learn to eat. I do want to say thanks again for the great topic and for your next podcast if you could potentially talk about celebrations again Christmas I know that you have got a podcast on it but it's just I still don't I'm in a small town so I don't hear enough about it and I'm becoming aware of how much grief is around this time of year and how triggering it is and yeah I just would love to listen to 
everyone's thoughts on Christmas and celebrations and grief to do with it and the tools that they use to get through the lead-up and the day in particular. Thanks. See ya. Thank you, Grace. Listening. Yeah, I practiced listening in the rooms. The meetings that I go to don't have crosstalk. So listening is all I can do, except when I'm sharing. But the beginning, and still sometimes, would share early so that I wouldn't be tempted to be thinking about what I was going to say as I was listening to everybody else and I could listen more closely. Also, just working with other members, whether as a sponsor or as a program friend, being able to listen with interrupting, listen without responding. Again, there's practice there and it's practice in a supportive setting. So there's a couple of suggestions for developing listening skills that worked for me. Thinking about it, those same practices help to learn how to create real emotional intimacy with another person. Not talking about romantic or sexual intimacy here, but sharing deeply of what is in ourselves with each other. That happens in meetings, that happens in program conversations, that happens in sponsorships. Also, getting to know ourselves is clearly part of the program. I learned a whole bunch about myself working through the steps, and in particular the inventory, but not just the inventory. So just keep coming, I think, and it will develop for you. Thanks, Grace. Amy writes, in episode 402, you referenced Barb Nagel, but I cannot find her podcast anywhere. I'm interested in her podcast you mentioned on Crosstalk. I wrote back to Amy. I said, Barb Nagel's podcast is called Fragmented to Whole. And I added a link to that podcast to the podcast we like section of the sidebar on the website. And if you're on a phone or a tablet, the sidebar is actually all the way at the bottom. So just scroll and it'll show up. It's also where the like donation buttons and stuff are as well. Sherry writes, Hi, my name is Sherry. I wanted to mention my deep gratitude for your podcast regarding step two, particularly episode nine. I'm new to the Al-Anon program. I was feeling uncomfortable and stressed about reading the word God, let alone believing in such a thing. This podcast has helped me tremendously with regard to my own beliefs or rather disbelief in religion. Thank you for showing me I can find a higher power of my own that suits me and the various situations I find myself in. Thank you, Sherry, for writing. One of the things we try to do here is to bring lots of different experiences and opinions in so that you can find something that you identify with and can perhaps use for yourself. So thanks for writing. Ellen sent a voicemail. Hi, Spencer and the Recovery Show folks. This is Ellen from Pennsylvania. Just listened to the gossip um, podcast and wanted to raise the question of talking about the alcoholic or addict when they are not present as equivalent to or similar to gossip. I try very hard not to speak of my, the person in my life who I called my loved one who's had addiction problems um, about their addiction or about pretty much anything about them without clear permission I just think this is really important. Thank you. Bye. The question here is, 
talking about the alcoholic or addict when they are not present is that gossip. I don't remember exactly where it is, but there is Al-Anon literature about what we share in meetings. There's a strong suggestion to keep the focus on ourselves. Part of that focus for me is how I felt or reacted when my loved one did certain things or didn't do certain things. I cannot separate that from my story. I just can't. What I can do, and this is, again, this is a skill that took probably years to develop, is to talk less and less about what they did and more and more about what I felt and what I did. A little bit of what they did is inextricably woven in, but it's not the focus. I remember a friend of mine in a meeting who I had the opportunity over a space of years to hear him share his own story. And I marveled at how every time I heard it, it was more about him and less about his loved one. And I strove to follow that model. So that's my thoughts on this question. I cannot divorce what happened from the alcoholic or alcoholics in my life, but I can keep the focus on myself. Mike left us a voicemail about episode 403 titled Inaction and Reaction, Navigating the Path to Meaningful Action. Here's Mike. Hi, Spencer. This is Mike. This is a great topic, and I've learned a lot about myself and my past survival by thinking through this. I would add the term fawn to fight, flight, or freeze, and offer these working definitions. If I have the resources, physical, legal, emotional, financial, adequate understanding, uh, to make things better and think it's worth it, then I will fight back. As an adult, fighting back may mean yelling, but normally it simply means using words and ideas to confront ideas and actions that I find ineffective at best, or harmful at worst. If I don't think I can make things better or don't believe it's worth it, but have resources, I will flee. This is what I have done most of my life. I used to leave home as a child and spend the day in the woods or out with friends. At 17, my mother tried to slap my face as she had throughout my life, and I grabbed her hands to prevent her. In the aftermath of that confrontation, I ended up moving out. As an adult, if words do not work, I distance myself from harmful people and situations. If I am surprised and lack resources, I may freeze. As a young child, I am sure my first response to parental rage was to freeze. As an adult, I have frozen when I was surprised by abusive behavior at home or work. Regarding fawn, If someone is trapped and has no resources or outside help and has been through this before, they may fawn. That is, they may become compliant or even take the side of the oppressor to soothe, distract, or somehow deflect or minimize the harm that is coming their way. I think this is what Stockholm Syndrome is. To answer your questions, when did or do you react 
Before program, I was highly reactive. In fact, I had no purpose or identity apart from reacting to moment-by-moment events. I didn't know who I was or what I wanted. I had no idea how to proactively take care of myself. Your second question, when did or do you freeze into inaction? I freeze or I fail to do what is mine to do when I am unaware, uncertain, or too busy. The third question, how has this changed in recovery? Now I pause. I draw on questions and slogans to slow me down to respond rather than react. Sometimes I ask my sponsor's input. Often I pray, meditate, and wait. Sometimes the response is a deliberate lack of input or involvement. I heard someone in a meeting say, nothing is often the best thing to do and usually the best thing to say. And so that stays in the forefront of my mind. The fourth question, what tools can you use to turn inaction and reaction into appropriate action? The serenity prayer is one of my primary tools for determining boundaries. It helps me to separate what is mine, what belongs to others, and what belongs to God. If something is on or beneath my skin, it is part of me. My feelings, thoughts, opinions, wishes, dreams, fears, emotions, mind, health, knowledge, pleasure, and preferences are a few of these. If it is something I have worked for and legally purchased, it is mine. If it is a gift someone gave, gave to me, it is mine. Others doing anything to affect any of these areas without my pleasure are getting in my hula hoop, and it is appropriate for me to take care of myself by resisting the, this misuse of me or mine. Few things in, the, in this world are me or mine, but God has only given me enough brain space to deal with the me and the mine. On April 27th, from a little time for myself, Al-Anon's new reader, the reminder is, if I focus all my time and energy on all the work that I need to do on myself in a day, when I'm done, it's time to go to bed. I like that quote. It keeps me focused on what's me and mine and off of everything else. So anything that is not on that list is not mine, and I need permission from the steward of that property and wisdom from God to know if it's best for me to get involved. The three A's are another tool that I use that help me a lot. The slogan, how important is it? First things first, live and let live. Easy does it and let it begin with me. All direct me to a proportional and appropriate loving and kind response in the right way at the right time. The last question, how does the phrase fight, flight, or freeze connect to an action and reaction? As I already said, I would add fawn to that, and I gave the definitions above. But basically, I wait to know whether action is even proper uh, and is within my boundaries for me to do. And if inaction or reaction are not taking care of myself properly or abusing myself or someone else, then... I don't do that. I I try to respond. I really appreciate the show. This is the first time I've called in, and thank you very much. Wow, Mike, there's a lot there. Thank you. 
for calling and sharing your thoughts on this topic. Got an email from Anonymous. I saw one of your podcast episodes on spiritual awakening. That's episode 296, Spiritual Awakenings and Experiences. I started my journey after my son passed in 2017, then my mom in 2022. It's very real. It changes you forever. I now live in solitude because I feel everything and everyone. I have this overwhelming feeling that I do not belong here. Food doesn't taste right, and everyone has a selfish agenda. I know I will never be the same as I used to be, but I don't miss any of it. I'm so free now. I can hear vibrations and frequencies change. I can understand life and animals. I can now see what's more important. It's not makeup, money, nor materialistic things. It's love and kindness. The world isn't ready for that, I don't think. They say we have to have great traumas to be able to wake, and I believe that. I can remember the very day and moment something or someone told me, no more crying time to get up. Right then, my life was saved. Thank you for sharing that. I'm sure somebody listening will identify with it. Laurel writes, Hi Spencer, hope you are well. I recently shared at a meeting about how I've used my God box and thought this might be a show topic. Perhaps you might solicit stories from listeners about things they have put in their God boxes and how those things slash attitudes about them have changed after that. For me, those stories offer a lot of hope. Thank you, Laurel, for that topic idea, and also thank you for offering to co-host, if that becomes a thing. I actually wrote back to Laurel and said, yeah, let's do it. I have not had a practice of using a God box, but I got one for Christmas. So I thought, okay, I'll try using it for a few months, and then we'll do a show. But if you want to share a voice or email about how you use your God box, we can start collecting those stories now. Got a voicemail from Melissa. Hi, Spencer. My name is Melissa. I'm from Sacramento, California. And I've been wanting to leave you a message for a while. Um, first of all, thank you so much for all of the hard work that you do putting this podcast on. I listen to it on my way to work and way home. And it has really helped me with my recovery. I was wondering if you have done an episode about being in a relationship after you're alcoholic or addict. My ex-husband is an alcoholic and addict, and then I remarried someone who is not an alcoholic or addict, and I'm still struggling in the relationship part. So I wanted to get some feedback about that. Just curious if anyone else is um, interested in that topic. Uh, Thanks again. Bye. Questions about relationships, relationship after divorce, relationship after the person you divorced gets sober. Again, no experience here. Pat and I did episode 358 titled Al-Anon After Divorce. And I think she talks about part of your question, at least if I understand your question correctly. Simi writes, Dear Spencer and listeners, I have been in and out of Al-Anon since I was 14 years young. I am now in my mid-40s. was grateful to hear you request shares about some of us work the program in a unique way. I guess this is one that would have been in episode 405 about working the steps if it had come in a little sooner. But here we are. Simi continues, I have worked the program in a more traditional way and now in a very unusual way thanks to my dedicated sponsor. I am an autistic adult diagnosed late in life. 
I have learned through trial and error that in-person meetings and sometimes even virtual meetings can be overstimulating for me with the way autism presents for me. In the past, I would push myself to go to meetings in desperation for recovery, and this sometimes resulted in meltdowns or shutdowns because of the emotional content I absorbed from meetings and the overwhelm of hearing multiple stories back to back. With my sponsor's help, I learned that I could listen instead to recovery podcasts. Yours is my favorite. Well, hey, thank you, Simi, for that. And longer speaker meetings so I could focus on one person's story and absorb that information more fully and gently. When I feel well-resourced, I can join online and phone meetings and duck out if I feel overwhelmed. I hardly ever share, but I felt it was important for me to share this so that other people navigating struggles with making it to meetings because of processing differences or disabilities know that it is possible to work your program in a creative way that accommodates your particular needs. I encourage people to find fellow members, and if you are lucky, a sponsor willing to help with creative solutions for working a full program. Early on in my Al-Anon experiences, I had two sponsors discontinue working with me because I couldn't go to regular meetings due to disabilities I had at the time, and I felt very discouraged in my program because of this. I share this in hopes that those sponsoring and those struggling with disabilities or processing differences consider creative solutions rather than rigid adherence to the standards of what may work for some or even most. I believe it is our dedication to the daily inner work and how we share that inner evolution in a good way with others that matters most. I'm so grateful for the accessibility of your show, for the ways I see some Elanon groups and sponsors, especially mine, making an effort to create safer spaces for marginalized groups and those of us needing creative solutions to work our program within our unique capacity. Thank you for your good work and for the opportunity to share on this topic, Simi. Thank you, Simi, for highlighting your experience and highlighting the ways in which different people may need, different people do need different approaches to recovery um, and encouraging us to find ways to make recovery accessible to everyone, whatever their abilities or disabilities. Thank you. Robin sent an email. Hi, Spencer. I am not an alcoholic, but I am recently drawn to AA literature after more than two decades in al recovery. I've noticed what seems like an essential tension between our two fellowships that maybe you would explore. In al we're told to keep the focus on ourselves, while AA recovery explicitly calls for doing service for others as an antidote to try to stage-manage others in the world. I often identify with the dry drunk who is miserable. I'm not miserable, but I've fallen short of happy, joyous, and free for a while now. As noted above, alcoholics get past this, it seems, by giving up selfishness and self-seeking. In Elanon, we keep the focus on ourselves. Seems like a contradiction. Yes, I know we are different fellowships, but that different? Perhaps what is common to both is third-step work, turning it over. At any rate, it's a Gordian knot. I would love to see your show try to untangle. It's where I am in my long, slow recovery. Robin says, P.S. I'm curious to know what double winners think about this, and so am I. I want to quote a little bit from the big book here. This is on page 62 of the book Alcoholics Anonymous. Selfishness, self-centeredness, that we think is the root of our troubles. Driven by a hundred forms of fear, self-delusion, self-seeking, and self-pity, we step on the toes of our fellows and they retaliate. Sometimes they hurt us seemingly without provocation, but we invariably find that at some time in the past we have made decisions based on self which later placed us in a position to be hurt. So our troubles, we think, are basically of our own making. 
They arise out of ourselves, and the alcoholic is an extreme example of self-will run riot, though he usually doesn't think so. Above everything, we alcoholics must be rid of this selfishness. And I think that's part of the key here, that actually AA does encourage focus on self in order to recognize the self-centered behavior that has been acting in their lives. Yeah, one way to move out of that self-centered behavior is to work with others. What I get from that reading is that at the center of alcoholism is self-focused behavior and that AA provides a way to focus more outward to get out of that self-centered behavior. Whereas in Al-Anon, our behavior has very often been other-centered and thus we are encouraged to stop trying to manage other people's lives and to focus on ourselves. And in both cases, the, the focus is on ourselves, particularly steps four through nine, where we really look at ourselves and find out what we see as our character defects or faults or whatever word you want to apply there. This is true for both programs. We are in Al-Anon encouraged to work with other Al-Anons. Sponsorship and other program conversations and working together, that is encouraged. And the same thing in AA, that in both programs, we're encouraged to give service to the program. That's my thought on it at the moment, but I would be interested to hear others' thoughts on this, and maybe we can put together an episode. Anna writes, do you have any episodes or resources for my husband who is a police officer and struggling with alcohol addiction? Thanks. I appreciate it. I found your show through a Facebook comment thread on a police wives page, and I just clicked on a random episode and started listening. I grew up in an alcoholic home with an alcoholic father. He is now recovered, and my husband's father is also an alcoholic, still active in the addiction. My husband uses alcohol to check out and deal with the stress and trauma from the job. He has been hiding alcohol and lying to me when he is drunk, even though I can tell. I'm worried he will go to work, hungover, or still drunk from the night before. We have four kids, eight years and under, and I feel so alone and don't want our kids to experience alcoholism. Thanks. Take care. Anna. Anna, one of the things that we learn in Al-Anon is that there is usually very little we can do to bring our loved ones to recovery. That's the really hard part. That's at least one of the really hard parts of loving, living with an alcoholic. Resources for your husband. Unfortunately, he needs to reach out to Alcoholics Anonymous or other recovery programs. He needs to recognize the problem. He needs to feel the pain of the problem, usually at some level, in order to be motivated to reach out. For the rest of us, those of us who, who love these people, Elanon can help us understand what our choices are, what our actions can be. I strongly encourage you to attend meetings, to talk with other members of Elanon, to start to gain some understanding of what your choices, your options really are. Janice wrote, thank you for all the work you and others do on the Recovery Show podcast. I really enjoy it, and it serves as a supplement to my Elanon program. I just listened to episode 403, In Action and Reaction, Navigating the Path to Meaningful Action. 
I wanted to let you know that while your voice is very clear and easy to understand, the audio was slightly distorted when listening to Eric. It sounded like a poor connection with his voice fading in and out. Also, in the feedback portion when voice messages were played, the speech of those sharing sounded distorted and lacked clarity, and it was difficult to understand at times. When M shared about episode 399 near the end of their share, there was an obvious improvement in the audio quality of their voice, and it was much easier to understand them. Also, I didn't mind the AI you used for the email shares you receive, especially knowing your intent to add other voices rather than your own to the podcast. I also don't mind when your voice is the one reading the feedback and shares you receive via email. Either way works for me. I wonder, would it be possible for someone else to read some of the emails you receive to add another voice? Or would that be too challenging to coordinate? Thanks, Janice, for that feedback. I am somewhat frustrated with audio quality as well. I'm working to find better ways to, in particular, record episodes with a guest host. And the same thing with the the voicemails. Sometimes that's just the quality that I get from recording a phone call. That particular calling the phone number is not a very high fidelity recording. Sometimes there's background noise that I try to reduce and there's just problems with the audio. I can't improve the bass quality, and I need to just do the best I can, and sometimes that's still not great. But be aware that I am aware of this. I listen to each episode all the way through while I'm editing, sometimes more than once, and I try to make it the best I can. I do have a new system I'm using for recording that hopefully will improve the the guest-hosted episodes. Sue writes, hello from the UK. Hi, Spencer, and all at The Recovery Show. I found The Recovery Show this year after reading the Al-Anon board on Reddit. I came into Al-Anon in May this year after a loved one relapsed after five years of sobriety. I was desperate and in the early days was just clinging on to anything I could to survive day by day. Finding your podcast has been wonderful. It enables me to feel connected to recovery between meetings, and it has helped me find a path into the spiritual side of the program. This is something I never expected to be possible for me. I love the way you integrate music so thoughtfully, and I also feel I've learned a little bit about Ann Arbor, having only ever encountered it before as a place where books from the University of Michigan are published. It sounds like a vibrant, diverse, and interesting place. Most of all, I have to say thank you to Spencer for the gentle and meditative way you guide each discussion. I often put the podcast on at nighttime, when otherwise I feel very anxious and struggle to get to sleep. Your gentle accent, almost Canadian? really helps me to feel peaceful and able to sleep. I think I'm only just coming up to the 92nd episode, still still plenty more to listen to. Sending you much gratitude for all you have given to me this year. Best wishes, Sue. Thanks, Sue, for writing, for letting me know how the show helps you, and uh, for letting me know that I can put you to sleep. (laughs) Oh, yeah, I, I didn't mean it that way. Really helps me to feel peaceful and able to sleep. I don't feel like I sound Canadian, but I grew up near Canada. I live near Canada, so there's probably some influence there. I don't say a boot, though. Susan left a short note on episode 322, which is Deborah C. Hands Off, Pays Off. Sue says, I've been attending Al-Anon a few months now. While listening to Deborah C. sharing your podcast, I realized she was telling my story. I took away many things, but mainly that hands-off pays off, my new mantra. So thank you very much. Becky says, 
Dear Spencer, I made a commitment to listen to the recovery show from the first episode on and knew that Kelly and Swetha were no longer co-hosts at some point in the show. But when you opened episode 47 without them, I also felt the loss. I really enjoyed them both. Hope they are well and thank them for their service. And thank you for your service, yours and Eleanor and Becky. Well, thanks for that note, Becky. Yeah, Kelly and Swetha really brought some energy to the program and I totally miss them. I have over the years since completely lost contact. I hope also they're doing well. Donna writes, Hi, Spencer. I last wrote because my son was uninterested in quitting drinking and was in jail. He got 60 days, slipped, went to jail, went to treatment, slipped, got a break, slipped again, got another break, and likely headed to jail again. All his cars are fitted with interlock, which is a good thing. So, of course, I experienced some hope during the sober periods, but now I am struggling. I listened to your recent podcast on the 12 steps, and one man said he went through the readings on each step in the One Day at a Time book, ODAT. I have a copy, and sometimes I like to go back to the traditional literature. So I started where I am, powerless over alcohol. This is where I read today about submission versus surrender. Submission is more of an intellectual acceptance, a sort of forced acceptance, in a way accepting that something has power over me. But surrender is reclaiming my power over my own life. This concept is familiar to me. I remember after my divorce many years ago now, my ex tried to get full custody of the kids. I was scared for several months, but then it came to me like a wave of water washing over me. If God's will was for my husband to have full custody, then that was the right thing, and I would deal with it and be the best visiting mother I could be. And I was awash in relief. That didn't happen. It was some idea from his second wife to get more money or something. In any case, all was well, and the kids grew up. Okay, I'm going to pause reading Donna's letter here at the moment. And I found this reading May 14th in One Day at a Time, page 135. I think this is the one that she might be referring to. It says, A longtime friend of AA, Dr. Harry M. Tybote, clarified brilliantly the difference between submission and the surrender idea which is implied in step one of our 12 steps. In submission, he said, an individual accepts reality consciously but not unconsciously. He accepts as a practical fact that he cannot at the moment conquer reality, but lurking in his unconscious is the feeling there will come a day, dot, dot, dot. This is no real acceptance. The struggle is still going on. With this temporary yielding, tension continues. But when the ability to accept functions on the unconscious level as surrender, there is no residual battle. There is relaxation and freedom from strain and conflict. And the reminder says, Al-Anon tells me that complete acceptance of my powerlessness to change the alcoholic can indeed create a new life for me. When I really let go and stop playing God, things will begin to happen, because at that point my higher power has an opportunity to correct what seemed to me so hopeless. I think that's maybe what Donna read, Um, again, page 135, in one day at a time, May 14th. Continuing with Donna's letter. The second time that I experienced this was when my daughter became an addict and alcoholic. Not unlike my son, she was stubbornly committed to her addiction and its ugly consequences. Finally, finally, I surrendered, and while at times I was sad, I determined that if jail or overdose were God's will, he had his reasons, I lived at ease with the truth. One day, my daughter called and asked for a ride home from the hospital. This was not at all that unusual, and I usually said no, 
But this day, I was driving by the hospital when she called, so I said, okay, only because I'm right here. When I got inside, there were nurses and social workers all around, and they handed me some papers to hold while they talked to her. I looked at the papers while I waited, and to my astonishment, she was clean. I mean, how many treatment efforts in abandoned detox center, and here, suddenly on a Tuesday, she was clean. She is clean and sober today, even off cigarettes. None of it my doing, although I offer support here and there. We get along, which, believe me, was hard when she was using. And here I am, at the point of surrender again. How did I do it? I suppose I will pray for the willingness to surrender, because I can do nothing to change my son's situation. It may get better, it may not, but I am not in charge of it. And I know what I want, but I don't know what is best. Only God knows that. Thanks for your show and for listening. I am commenting at this writing to wait for surrender. Thanks, Donna, and thanks for that pointer to the literature and your thoughts about surrender and how it has worked in your life. Anne and at least one other person wrote to tell me that the Donate by Shopping button was broken. It turns out Amazon had discontinued the banner feature that I was using for that button. I found a new implementation that seems to be working. Look for the Shop Amazon button in the sidebar, which again is at the bottom of the page on a phone or tablet. I also found that most of the links on the books page were totally broken, and those are now fixed. I also need to update that page desperately. It's pretty out of date. I don't think I've touched it in quite a few years. If you have suggestions for the book page, you could send them to me, feedback at therecovery.show. Ashley left us a voicemail. Hello, Spencer and Recovery Show. This is Ashley from Alberta. I just wanted to call in on episode number 354. It's titled Making Decisions. And I really needed to hear this episode today. It's a few years old, and I guarantee you I heard it a few years ago, but I didn't hear it until today. And then I listened to it a second time today because it was just that good. I definitely absorbed a lot more of the message on this second, third go-around. I just wanted to thank you all for everyone who contributed to it because it was fabulous. Eric was one of the co-hosts. There was three to four other people who called in and left messages or left wonderful email contributions. And it was a fabulous collective of wonderful tidbits. I personally am not facing any large decisions in my life at this moment in time, but this past three to six months, there have been a lot of big decisions in my life and it's been um, very validating this episode to hear how people utilize their program tools in their lives to make decisions. Because a lot of what I heard in that episode was exactly what I have been doing over the last three to six months. So it was very validating. Um, a phrase I pulled out of it was deciding to not make a decision is making a decision. It's a pause is how I looked at it, like the Al-Anon pause. Another phrase that I pulled out of it was don't make a permanent decision to a temporary problem. To me, that lends to a tendency I have to be reactive instead of active. So I will react instead of taking accountability and sitting with something and giving it time and space to to make a healthy decision instead of a reaction. And that's quite often what historically I have been. I would go through the process of, oh my gosh, this feels ucky, make it go away. I don't like this feeling. And instead of sitting with the feeling, I would just react and make a knee-jerk decision to make the feeling go away. 
what I've learned is that a lot of times this feeling stems from a fear of anything, but a lot of times for myself, it, it comes back to a fear of abandonment, which stems from childhood, but also I've carried that through into my adult world where in prioritizing other people's stuff and basing my decisions on making other people happy, I've abandoned myself. I've abandoned my needs. I've abandoned my boundaries over and over again to try and get love from somebody else. And uh, that's something that I've become very aware of in recent years and that I still do it on occasion, but I'm working to make better decisions that are healthier for me. I'm sitting with those <clears throat> yucky feelings. And sometimes that means making decisions in small pieces. And that was alluded to it in the podcast where large problems deserve more time and more consideration is more or less what was said. So sometimes small decisions towards that large decision just chip away at it and contribute to it. So I think the example that was given was choosing to divorce. The first choice might be choosing to actually pursue a divorce. The second choice might be hiring a lawyer. The third choice might be moving out and, and finding separate living spaces. So there are a series of small choices which culminate to the final big decision, right? And there's a phrase that I think ties to this that I've used in my life for several years is when eating an elephant, do it one bite at a time. Instead of looking at the big picture, which if I do that, I tend to get overwhelmed and freeze. And then I procrastinate because I'm terrified of making the wrong choice and my perfectionism takes over. If I can look at a piece of it and make one small decision on this one piece of it, then it's just one less piece I have to look at and I, I'm still moving forward. Another thing that was said in the episode was, I don't have to win anything today. I don't have to be right. I loved that. Eric shared that. Thank you, Eric. My sponsor has a phrase, and I think it's almost the exact same thing with different words. But what she says is, I'm okay no matter what. And how I tie those two together is, I don't need to be right or prove anything to anybody to be okay. I am okay no matter what someone else thinks. And I don't need to enter into an argument in order for me to feel okay about myself. I already talked about my fear driving a lot of my choices. But it, what I learned about fear driving my choices is this is where I lose my power. I know we talk about being powerless over alcoholism, and that's 100% true. But I believe we have the ability to regain that sense of power in our lives by making decisions from a healthy standpoint and decisions that are good for ourselves. I've learned that is true for me. In the last year and a half, I had a family member move in with us about a year and a half ago, and it was one of the most difficult things I've ever had to do. I found my fear took over big time, and I mostly hid and didn't engage and reverted to all sorts of bad behaviors. I wouldn't say bad. That's a poor choice of words. I'd say 
a lot of survival tactics took over. Insofar as even I would, instead of making any kind of decisions, I would leave it for my spouse to make the decisions when it came to that family member because my fear was just so intense. And so I dumped a lot on my spouse and gave away my power. And then one day something changed and I decided to take back my power. And I had a conversation with this family member more and put up a lot of boundaries. It was me reclaiming my power and it was wonderful because I finally made a decision. I didn't run and hide and wait for other people to make decisions. And a lot of times the decisions they made did not have me in consideration. And so if I needed to have something in my life, I have to be a part of that decision and I have to make my own decisions. And so it was fantastic that I finally made some decisions. And this was very, like I said, validating to hear everything that was shared by the contributors to this episode, because it was definitely things that I applied through this process. The last thing I wanted to touch on was one of the songs for the show was Tracy Chapman's Fast Car. And I loved that this was chosen for the show because I think I think maybe a lot of people don't listen to the last portion of the song. I think it's a very Alanonic song, especially if you watch the video, it, it ties to it as well. But in the beginning, she talks about getting away from a dad who drinks a lot of alcohol and will get in the fast car and get out of here. And then if you go towards the last few refrains of the song, I have the lyrics here. It goes, you got a fast car. I got a job that pays all our bills. You stay out drinking late at the bar, see more of your friends than you do your kids. I'd always hope for better. Thought maybe together you and me would find it. I got no plans. I ain't going nowhere. Take your fast car and keep on driving. And then towards the the very last, it goes, you got a fast car. Is it fast enough so you can fly away? You still got to make a decision. Leave tonight or live and die this way. So to me, it talks about some of these decisions that a lot of us in Al-Anon have to face is do we keep living in this space or do we make a decision to not live in this space and pick something different? And the repetition as well of the family disease is really outlined in this. I just think it's a very Al-Anon song and it's very fitting to so many things in um, so many topics. And I want to just thank you again for this episode. I want to thank you for continuing to produce new episodes. It has helped me so much. I can't even tell you. It's one of the major tools in my recovery, this podcast. So thank you everyone who calls in, who contributes for the new ideas, for the new topics, for adding your voice and your flavor. It's just, it's fantastic. And I just don't have enough words to express my gratitude. So thank you again, and you all have a fantastical day. And that's everything from Ashley from Alberta. Thanks, Ashley. I don't think I can say it any better than that. Um, I, I do like this thing that your sponsor says. I'm okay no matter what. I have definitely used that. That no matter what happens, I will be okay. It's a little bit differently phrased, but yeah, totally agree. Cindy asked how she could find an AWOL group. Uh, AWOL stands for A Way of Life, A Way of Living, and it's usually a small group that is studying the steps or perhaps some of the literature. I responded to her the way that I have always gotten involved in one is one of two ways. Announce in my meetings that I'm looking for an AWOL group to join. 
or announce in my meetings that I would like to start an AWOL group and ask for others who would like to do it too. And I guess there's a third way, which is somebody else announced in a meeting that they wanted to form an AWOL group, and I'm like, yes, I will join. So if you're not hearing that in your groups, in your meetings, when they come around to announcements, I would say speak up, say, I would like to join or start an AWOL group. If you're interested or if you're in such a group that I could join, please talk to me after the meeting. I added a little bit about how I have worked in these groups. All the groups that I've been a member of followed the Paths to Recovery book to study the steps. We would each write answers to a few of those questions and then meet typically weekly. I think one of my groups met every other week, and we would share our answers to those questions. I think it's really important that your first meeting, you have a group conscience meeting and talk about how you want to be together in that group. Do you want to allow crosstalk? Do you want to allow crosstalk only after saying, is it okay if I say something? How do you want to do that? Of course, that can change as the group coheres and you get more comfortable with each other. That sort of thing. You need to work those out, work out those details. Also, finding a place and a time can be a challenge. One group, we typically met at somebody's home. Another group had several meeting places starting in somebody's office, and then that person dropped out of the group. Then I think we met at people's homes for a little while, and then one of the members was a member of a church that had a room we could meet in, and we met there. And a third group, we met in a room at a local public library where they would allow us to reserve the room for an hour or so, a certain number of times a year. So more than one of us had to go in and make the reservations in order to be able to do it for the whole year, but that worked pretty well. So there's a lot of options, but the first step is to speak up and say you'd like to be in one. Sherry writes, I really appreciate all the work you put into the podcast. On a recent episode, you mentioned you've been listening to some podcasts dealing with adult children. Do you mind mentioning what podcasts these were? And no, Sherry, I totally do not mind mentioning what podcasts they are. In fact, both of them are listed in the sidebar on the website, therecovery.show, under the heading Podcasts We Like, which, again, if you're on a phone or a tablet, it's going to be all the way down at the bottom. And the two podcasts that I'm listening to regularly that are basically or definitely about the experience of adult children and recovery one is called Adult Child, that is hosted by Andrea. Andrea can be an acquired taste. She does like to swear, but she's got some really, if I can say it here, kick-ass content. And so I put up with the swearing to get to the content. The other one is called Fragmented to Whole. I've mentioned it earlier in this episode with Barb Nangle. She uses her full name in the podcast. Again, she swears a little bit. She has very topic-focused episodes that are typically about 20 minutes long. It's an easy listen. The adult child episodes are more like the recovery show in their length. Again, you can find them on the website in the section of podcasts we like in the sidebar. Marianne had a question about traveling sponsor, and I wrote back, I said, I think that's not something either of us said in the episode. This was the How to Work the Steps episode number 405. Now, I think you may have misheard Karen's reference to the ACA term fellow traveler. The definition of this from the ACA website says, fellow traveler, this is the traditional method of ACA sponsorship 
person who is willing to share experience, strength, and hope in helping the sponsee work his or his way through the 12 steps and to pick up the recovery tools for facing life on life terms. I found a pamphlet, which I will link in the show notes at therecovery.show slash 406 that explains ACA sponsorship and fellow travelers in more detail. In particular, it says, quote, the unique model of sponsorship practice in ACA places the sponsor and sponsee on equal footing, seeking answers and solutions together. So hopefully that clarifies what that term meant, because yeah, traveling sponsor, that doesn't make sense to me either. Roberta left a voicemail. Hey, Spencer. This is Roberta from California, and I'm just commenting on episode four of two about gossip in meetings or outside and how harmful it can be. Boy, that hit home to an experience I had with my sister. I panicked one year because my CTA did not get to me. I paid my taxes, and then the government moved in and took all my money from my account. So I had one penny in my bank account, which freaked me out because I've never seen that. I had to reach out to my sister to get the number. I freaked out, and I started talking that I have the money in panic mode. Fast forward, she was talking to family friends and basically said that I should go back to my husband for financial reasons. I was so hurt and distraught by this, I, I couldn't even... I was angry. Angry that it came to my work, my sanctuary, if I know. And here I was, trying to get healthy and move past that. I did what I thought was the best and the right next thing to do. Program. I wrote a letter. I read it to my sponsor. I read it to program friends. And it was an I letter. And I read it to my sister. When it basically said that I have lost trace, trust. I know my boundary now in this relationship, but that was only because of program. And I do that a lot now. When I need to say something, I write it out so that nothing is misconstrued. And I am staying on path with the conversation that I need to have with the person. Thank you so much for everything you do. Appreciate you. Bye. Thank you, Roberta, for sharing that, using some of your recovery tools in a difficult situation. Thanks for calling. I just want to read one review that we got in Apple Podcasts titled Real Stories About Recovery from the Effects of Alcohol and Addiction. I found the recovery show from a recommendation from someone in one of my Al-Anon meetings. It is without question one of the most valuable podcasts of all the ones available. The host has a gentle tone, just like someone who has been to many Al-Anon meetings. They have guests that tell real stories about real recovery and how they experience strength and hope that has brought them through to have real lives of serenity. I can't recommend this podcast more for anyone who is trying to understand how their lives have been affected by addiction and how to find happiness and answers in their lives. That seems to be from Cliff, who's in the U.S. So thank you for that. Wow, that's a well-thought-out and well-expressed review. And that is it for this episode. If you've hung on this long, we had a lot of experience, strength, and hope, and a little bit of fear and not knowing what to do expressed here. And I'm sure that you found something that you connect to in the experiences of all these people who, again, thank you. 
to everybody who shared and apologies for some of you taking months and months before acknowledging your feedback, your emails, your voicemails. Thanks. I want to close with a song by Bill Withers. This is the song Lean on Me. I'm sure we've used it before. You can listen to it at therecovery.show slash 406. And to me, this song just expresses the way in which in the program, we lean on each other. There's so, so many lyrics in here. I just might have a problem that you'll understand. We all need somebody to lean on. Thank you for listening, and please keep coming back. Whatever your problems, there are those among us who have had them too. If we did not talk about a problem you are facing today, feel free to contact us so we can talk about it in a future episode. May understanding, love, and peace grow in you one day at a time.